Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. The show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, the Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by Prosperitas, an animated video agency that can help you bring your company's ideas, values, products, and messages to life with the power of visual storytelling. Whether you strive to win more customers, engage, or educate your audience, Prosperitas will craft each video specifically targeted to fit your brand and vision. Visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn more. That's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-T-A-S agency.com to find out how Prosperitas can create the best videos your company has ever had. My guest today is Zion Williams Crane. Zion is the CEO of WC Media, a Facebook advertising agency that combines ads, email, and data collection. They've generated over $5 million in revenue in less than a year for their e-commerce clients from $1.2 million in ad spend, helping e-commerce and SaaS businesses scale predictively using qualitative data is their specialty. Thanks so much for joining me today, Zion. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So tell me, what led you to pursue a career in marketing? So it was completely by chance. So I actually am a, I'm a nerd. So I have a background in coding of AI, robotics, drone building, Python, R. I've been coding since about 12. And so I'm really an algorithm guy. And then I helped my dad transition from corporate over into the personal training world. And so I had to use my algorithm thinking to reverse engineer essentially organic side of Instagram of like how much your comments worth, how much your hashtags worth, and you playing that whole game. And then I was a social media manager for a hot second, just because it was something apparently I was good at. And then I found a love for ads and advertising because I feel like you can have a lot more of an impact since you you go directly to the customer instead of waiting on the customer to come to you. It's a lot more proactive and because I have the the mind of an engineer and statistician, I'm all about the numbers. And so I'm always able to stay efficient and hit metrics and play the game as it should be played and not be here for the artsiness and how pretty the the copy creative is or the, the landing page design. It's all about effectiveness. And so it's really put me in this industry and I've been thriving in it. So now I'm just here as a matter of, I, I see a, a hole I can very easily fill. And so why not step into it and make the most of it? Oh, that's fantastic. And especially I think on, you know, the email side, I I so often see people are like, email marketing is dead. Email is dead. Cold emailing Mm -hmm. doesn't work. All this stuff. And I'm always just, hey, if anyone tells you that any kind of emailing, like 
doesn't work, just run in the opposite direction. Right? Yeah, yeah. Sure, just mass spamming people doesn't generally work. I'm sure, obviously, there's still some like Nigerian princes and, and other mm-hmm. people still, still <laughs> making some cash on uh, on spamming people. But by and large, for legitimate businesses, you can actually do things right. So on the cold email side, like personalization is key. And then exactly. on, on the back end, it's really, do you have an offer that people actually want? And nine times out of 10, if you're not converting something like your offer sucks. If yeah. you no, know, if nobody's opening your emails, then your subject line sucks. Being able to actually triage and diagnose the actual problem, I think is mm-hmm. something that a lot of people really struggle with. And so then they'll just commit to, you know, what I call like random acts of marketing. And mm-hmm. like, oh, let me try this. Let me try this. Let me try this mm-hmm. without actually evaluating and see what yeah. sticks. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's really one of those things where and that's it's that gap that I'm seeing so rampantly that makes me stay in this industry because it really is a we're just gonna throw shit at the wall and see what sticks and what works and not try to isolate variables or figure out, oh, they really like when we use the color red, or they really like when we talk about this specific benefit rather than this high overview of science that no one really gives two fucks about. Just tell me that it'll help me sleep better or tell me that it will help me gain more muscle and how, because of course now you can't just say the shit because everything is clickbaity now. So everything will make you lose 90 pounds in two minutes or help you gain a 300 pounds of muscles in three weeks of training. So you do have to definitely come with some facts. But where we lose people is we don't ask people what facts they want to know. And so when you start hitting people with random facts, that's when you become the spaz, like that kid in high school that always talked way too much about the shit you did not care to know. And that is what we do with the customer journey, because we don't we fail to get data on our customers and figure out why they're there in the first place. It's almost like how YouTubers can come out the gate really hot and then they'll switch and switch games or switch what their vlogging style is and they'll lose all their subscribers and they'll wonder what happened, but they never bothered to ask their subscribers in the first place, what do you guys enjoy seeing me do? Like, why are you here? But like at the same time with email, no one ever asks you why you subscribe to the email list, but they're very quick to be like, why are you unsubscribing? Why are you leaving? Talk to us. We really care about you now all of a sudden. But when you were sitting in the living room with them for the last three years that you've been in their email list, it's just been a whole bunch of spam stuff and things that you don't care about. And they've never once been like, hey, what kind of content do you want us to talk? Yeah, it is so wild because it really is that simple, right? It just it really marketing is just no matter what technology comes along no matter what new platform there's going to be it's still always going to be about the fundamentals and that's why i think like you know people that kill themselves to learn the latest and greatest like new platform or new tech piece if you don't actually have the fundamentals down you're not really going to go anywhere you might be able to like survive a hype cycle because everyone wants to like be engaged on such and such platform yeah yeah yeah. everybody wants um, to be on the shiny new thing yeah but really it's all those fundamentals it's like empathy first and how mm-hmm. do you exercise empathy if you're really, especially if you're not an empathetic person by nature, it's like literally make a survey, go and ask people shit. It's yeah, so yeah. simple. But, and I think that's the other thing is people love to overcomplicate everything and people love to overcomplicate marketing. And so like you have business owners that won't actually survey the market. They won't do market mm-hmm. research. They won't actually ask their actual customers. They won't even hit their customers up for, you know, follow on sales, which there's no easier customer to sell than one that is already a customer, right? Especially if you already know what they want. No one ever complained about a better customer journey. The way that we treat, because honestly, I 
on the business side, there's definitely some laziness, but where it's really gotten amplified is that now with all these marketing and advertising agencies, all businesses want to bring these people on and be like, okay, and now the business is basically just your problem now. And they aren't even thinking on the level of let's figure out what the customers want. It's if we went up to a, a used car dealership and the dealer never asked us what kind of car we're looking for, like that sale for that dude is going to be so hard because he's just going to go to the first car he sees and be like, so this is the latest sedan SUV that has 30 miles per gallon. And then we're going to run over here to a, a sports car that can only fit two people and is definitely not family friendly. Like you're just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what the, the customer's reaction is. And it's that exact same approach that we take with the online version of marketing and advertising with ads, with SEO, with the things that we publish for blogs, for email content, for flows. Like we really don't even be like, hey, what kind of car are you even looking for before I go showing you all this random stuff and I turn you off before I even get to turn you on? Yeah, it's really wild because it is that there's just this fear behind it and people are like afraid to talk to their customers or afraid to bother people or something. And it's if you want to create a lifetime customer value out of this person, like they actually need to be sticking around and they're more yeah. likely to stick around if you actually talk to them. To say nothing of the, the issue you're talking about there of offloading all the problems onto an agency is like regard like set marketing aside if you actually know, if you actually do the market research and customer interviews, you will, obviously your marketing will be better, but you'll just be better as a business owner because you will make higher level decisions across all areas of the business that will better serve that market. And especially being able to weather storms, like something like COVID is, mm -hmm. oh, hey, we were really focused on these in-person things and now everything has to be virtual. So rather than just throwing shit at the wall and being like, oh, maybe let's try this or that, be like, hey, customers, how would you like to interact with us now? How would you like mm -hmm. us to develop things? And then you craft the strategy. But otherwise, like you're flying blind. And if you get it right, you were just lucky. You yes. weren't actually doing anything that needed to be done to figure out what was going to be the right decision which is part of the reason of course there were several businesses that like a cafe or you know restaurant like yeah you're yeah, yeah. not going to totally obviously there's ways to pivot and like delivery and stuff like that but like the brick and mortar business of like people being there is gone so it mm -hmm. has to fundamentally change but i think just people were not well set up because they don't have those fundamentals down of just listening to their customers and especially if it's like your favorite business like Nobody wants their favorite business to disappear. Everyone's happy to give their opinion. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's just like, why? It's a never the twain shall meet kind of situation. And it's mm -hmm. crazy. And I feel like even that is like almost its own market opportunity. Because yeah, there's like market research companies out there and stuff. But like, I've never seen one that's, hey, we know you hate talking to your customers. So we'll <laughs> go and do it for you. So right. yeah, and that's exactly where we come in. And this is why we do it. I'll be honest, the reason that this agency is what it is, is that I see a lot of not trying and it. it just seems like everybody's lazy out here, like being completely honest, because we see the common sense version of this is figure out what your customers want and then give it to them. How do you do that? Shit, maybe you ask them and you collect data based on what you ask. Because people are so quick to be like, oh, we don't ask our customers data or ask our customers questions because 
they don't want to answer. No, because you go asking, what's your ethnicity? Where do you live? How much money do you make? These are very intrusive questions. But if we ask you and we're a t-shirt company, we say, hey, do you like crop tops? Do you like oversized tees? Or do you like long t-shirts? They will tell you what they want. And that's perfectly good data. And you can ask that question probably five to seven to eight times before they're like, okay, I'm tired of asking or answering questions and giving you my opinion. And it's just a, it's a lack of, it truly is a lack of fundamental understanding in business because of the, the rampant growth that we've had and all the shiny object syndrome we've had with the internet of taking everything digital. We've really forgotten that the rules are still the exact same in that, honestly, there are no rules. As long as you are solving a customer's need in the fastest and most efficient way possible, that is a good business model and you will win every single time. That can be newspaper, that can be billboard, that can be Facebook ads, that can be SEO, that can be blog posting. The game has not changed. There's just a lot more shiny objects out here. And really where we're starting to get lost is we aren't even thinking about the customers anymore. We're so focused on, oh, there's this new AI advertising algorithm that'll automatically get me at least a 3X on my sales. Or there's this new concept strategy on my click funnels that I heard about that's like a double click upsell thing. And we focus on all these little, these tactics, not realizing that the whole point of the tactics is to get you to the end goal that is a happy customer journey because no one ever complained about a good customer journey where they bought the thing that solved their problem. So that's what all the tactics should go to, but we just start chasing all these different tactics just to say that we're doing them or because we're in the echo chamber, especially with LinkedIn world, where everyone is just pirating or parroting the influencers that they follow and their influencers are parroting the other influencers that they follow. So there's just this echo chamber going on. And so no one is listening, but it's okay because iOS 15 is coming out in September and that's really going to have to, it's going to shake some people up. A lot of people, actually, I think a lot of the agencies that have started since probably 2016, 2015, I feel like probably 70 to 80% of them are going to die because there's a lack of strategy that exists in business, especially around the marketing and advertising agencies. They know how to hire contractors that can run ads or make copy or whatever, but they themselves don't have an actual strategy for how do we figure out what's working in the business and what's not how do we separate what's luck and just good facebook returns and what's a better response from our customer audience and more engagement overall you know what i'm talking about oh absolutely and i mean it is wild right like you give some of the survey examples like it, when they actually do it, it's like business owners suddenly turn into a census bureau and mm -hmm. they're just like, let me just get demographic data. And like, you didn't actually ask anything about like your offer. Right. Like, like it does not do matter have. if they are like, black or white or live in <laughs> Vegas or in New Hampshire. It doesn't matter if they will buy your shit and you can ship there or you can get them the product. What does it matter? You just need to know what product they want and why they want it. Absolutely. So let's talk. I, I want to talk iOS 15. And I'm sure you've got some strategies behind that. Tell people what's about to happen. What do they need to be aware of? And mm -hmm. why is it going to change uh, a lot of the face of marketing and advertising? Okay, so short version is email open rates are going away as far as Apple users are concerned. Of course, you can still have access to Android users and stuff, but the reason that it matters so much and why any news involving Apple and iOS is always a big deal for marketers and the money-making business e-com world is dollar for dollar, e or 
Apple users spend way more than any other phone user. So as far as your customer cream of the crop, it is your Apple users. So when you can't specify and target and orient around them, you're already shooting yourself in the foot because you're dealing with a much lower, lower income customer base. So you obviously can't sell as much. I and mean, what that means really is obviously that sucks. But the important thing is that email rates are going, email open rates are going away. They're essentially doing like a pseudo VPN inside of email to make sure that you can't be tracked as an individual, that you open something. And so they run it through essentially a proxy server, just like how a real VPN works. But what that means is there's no longer a way for you to split test what your customers want. Because before everyone was using their email open rate to know what they were doing and whether it was working or not. Because if this headline got 20, 20 times or five times as many opens as the previous headline copy, okay, we now know that this works. This is a new direction to pursue or inside of the, if the offer converted 5% more, 10% more than the previous offer did. We now know to pivot over to this offer. But if you don't have the open rates to compare, now you're really back to just throwing shit to the wall and seeing what sticks and just hoping that you make money off of email. But really, the it's not like it's the end of the world. The difference is that now the customer information gathering that we're talking about of just asking your customer it goes from being a highly recommended and just overlooked thing to an absolute requirement if you're going to do anything that isn't guessing in your marketing and advertising efforts. Because of course, with that, Facebook, Google, all of those attribution trackings are only going down and down as time goes on. And we approach 2023 when there's the zero cookie policy and you can't track anyone for anything. So it's really that that is the missing piece is that now you do have to talk to your customers if you're going to get any kind of feedback off of them because you can't just judge it based on, oh, this many bought when we ran ads or this many people came from Google or this many people opened the emails and then from the emails, this many people converted. Like you can't do that anymore. I will say one quick way around that though is that if you can do a video or a link, you can put like code in the link or on the video to still have that be tracked. They did something within the email probably they opened up the email, but of course that's still not a hundred percent. So you're still guessing, but at least that's a way to mitigate. But really the real key around it is just ask customers for their data because you're doing email signups anyway. So instead of just being like, join our really cool newsletter and give us your email, ask for the email, but then also ask for a couple things that they will be happy to give their opinion on. What kind of shirts would they want from you if they were buying a shirt? When are they even looking to buy new clothes from you? Are they looking to buy new clothes? How many t-shirts do they own so you can get an LTV thing? They don't mind telling you these things. And this is very easy data that you're getting with an email. So now you're not only getting data that is useful for the marketing and advertising and CRO and everything, but you're also getting an email list with data. And we know an email list with data can sell for a lot of money, even if that business itself is not worth jack shit. So now you have a real double play and it's required. It's incentivized of you because if you do it, you'll have a much easier time growing your business because you know what direction to grow, how to grow the product, how to change the brand. And you have an email list with data that you can actively market to, do joint ventures with, because now that you know what your customers have and what they, you also know what they also might like in another brand or company and do a crossover. And so that's just an extra little upside opportunity. And then when it's all said and done, you can sell the company and the email list with a nice little check on top.
Oh, totally. It's interesting because we do have this for the first time since the advent of marketing, the last 10 to 15 years have actually been this bizarre quirk where it's essentially been on easy mode that all this technology and all these other things cheat around to do a lot of your work for you. Yeah, and yeah. I think what this with iOS 15 with zero cookie is it's really going to humanize marketing a lot more, which is, mm -hmm. I think, long overdue. And yes. I think it's going to bring so much more intention to the practice of marketing. That you're actually going to have to exercise empathy. You're mm -hmm. actually going to have to talk to people, like you said. And that I think that actually leads to better outcomes for everyone. So you're not true, getting spammed by nonsense. You're going to kill a lot of businesses in the process, though, with all the quick people who are like, damn, I can really start an agency or start a dropshipping store and make money overnight. And just because even with advertising on Facebook, as much as that is a skill at the end of the day, 99% of what happens is happening through the algorithm right. isn't actually looking for people who like fitness and shit like it has its own parameters of what matches that target and that's why my background have of an algorithm in coder comes into play because i actually can understand the algorithm so it's beyond the copy and creative i understand how the algorithm works and can get around that type of scenario and leverage that to my advantage but it has been easy mode because really you just hire what a freelancer not even you can really hire anyone who's watched two minutes of a facebook ad video and at least have a chance of turning a profit if you just dump some money in there and a decent creative and you have a decent website yeah it's really gonna be wild but i think it'll be good to have the fly night operations go by the wayside you know, I, go do something else with your life or learn to be a real marketer and actually take care of people um and do what you're supposed to and, and bring a bit more some effort to the table that, yeah that's really more it. effort yeah. to the table absolutely and i think bring some more a better perception of marketers as well and definitely now we're just the manipulators the clickbaiters, the all yeah. that stuff and it's just that lack of effort and caring and that's why we actually put emails into the mix before it was just really good facebook ads because i understood the algorithm and had a good little process around it but then we found the data collection tool that we have and then we realized we can't leave it to chance because if we say if we recommend for a client to start looking into doing email flows and making them chances are they're not gonna do it and I refuse, I hate seeing business done badly, even more so than doing business is great. Having clients is great, but I really, I hate seeing business done badly. I feel like if LeBron James walked outside and saw a kid shoot a basketball with the ugliest of form, whether he was 40 or he was 102, he was going to run over there and be like, look, I need to fix your form right now because <laughs> it literally pains me to look at you. And I feel that way about businesses when I see the way that they market and advertise and the lack of strategy and understanding. And so it's like, okay, chances are I can't tell you to change because I am a, I'm a 20 year old entrepreneur. You probably aren't going to listen to what I have to say. So I'll just build it into my offer and carry it myself because I know what needs to get done. And I'm not going to rely on you to step up to the plate because I know I take business very seriously, but a lot of these other entrepreneurs and businesses, honestly, they don't. And it's no shade to them. It just, it is the truth. But because of that, I am happy to step up to the plate and put in the work. And I think that's why my agency is made itself so stand out because I just put in the time to think, damn, what would work really well? It's all about the customer journey. What is the leanest way to control and build the customer journey? Okay. Facebook is actually really great at just driving traffic as a traffic tool. So if we had a traffic tool and just got a whole bunch of people coming in 
And then we had a data collection tool so we could figure out why they're there. So now we can improve not only the ads because we now know how to tweak the ads, but we can tweak the offer to know what it is they actually want. But then on the backside, we can do email because we all know it's way cheaper to convert on email than it is to convert on ads. So now the goal isn't even to convert on ads, it's just for the traffic. That way we can make the back end work as smoothly as possible. So now we are the entire customer journey because we are, we greet you and take you to the door. And then we follow up with you and nurture you on the back end before, during, and after the sale through the email flows and processes. And that's really something that I hope to see a lot more businesses do in the future, because why not? It's not uberly difficult. It just takes focusing on the main thing, which is the customer and the customer journey. I would totally agree. So how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? Oh my goodness. My favorite failure would definitely be August of last year. August of last year, we hit really well with these three big, big ticket clients. Definitely the biggest of the the company's history. And then about three months later, it all fell through. We had a giant legal fiasco because we had one of the clients try to run off with the entire retainer. And it really, it forced a rebuild. But that rebuild was great because it gave me the time to refocus and receive the end goal. And then that was when we started incorporating, okay, then data is really the play that needs to be made here. Fuck the advertising and the, the sales side, like the data is where it's at because that makes everything easier. And then we were like, okay, so then we should probably work on being full system. And so then we did the email building. And then we went ahead and talked to customers and started doing beta testing and doing our own things with softwares and really just growing. Because now that we had the time, I didn't see a reason not to start innovating. So I honestly think that's the the best failure success story, because obviously it was a failure on paper. The business went negative. We were in debt about $8,000. And now in just a six month, seven month turnaround time, we're already projecting to do 50 million by the end of next year. So but that's a turnaround. And before the failure, the business was only looking to do maybe 2 million a year by the end of next year. So we've really accelerated our timeline despite the the apparent or the visible hiccup. It was actually a back end blessing. That's awesome. So what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? Oh, one to three books. Okay, so Robert Greene is probably my favorite author. So Mastery by him, I read when I was about 11. And that's probably what's put me on this track, because it's all about just like doing the work and getting the hours. So I'd say Mastery, Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins. I think it's the, the quintessential for any average person who is looking to understand financial literacy. And I would say the next one is anything honestly by anything by Ogilvy because he's just such a great he's mm. a great copywriter but he's also just such a great marketer and he never lost his personal touch with it. it it was never about the copy it was always still focused on the customer and so I think honestly those three books together are the reason that I am what I am because the the financial money match of the game is what laid the foundation for me to understanding all of the business finance stuff of reinvesting and places to reinvest and how to grow and build teams and do it in a very lean and efficient manner. And so it really all came full circle with probably those three books for sure. Awesome. So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Ooh, I think I would have a giant ass billboard 
This is a great question, by the way. I would do a giant ass billboard. I put it in LA or in New York and it would say, start traveling and break your bubble. Because I feel like a lot of, of Americans are in a bubble because we don't realize what it's like anywhere else in the world, especially because we're such a new country that we have no idea what a financial collapse really looks like. Like we've seen recessions, but we've never seen anything like the UK has and like Britain has with like a true fall off like of the world or like Brazil and like that major setback or China and all of its dynasties and the goods and the bad. I feel like we have such little experience as a nation that we, it's part of why we are so disconnected on a personal level especially across like other people and other countries because we imagine going to other countries as wow this big extravagant thing but for everyone else over there because they're all neighbors and friends like they go to different countries like we travel to different states to just do a quick day trip and it's i feel like it's something that we really do need to work on as americans is just filling in our knowledge gaps especially just on a human level on on just a level of existence because we have yet to see all of the bad that literally the rest of the world has seen because we're oh yeah couldn't agree more visiting some of the poorest countries in the world like that will totally change your perspective on everything that happens mm -hmm. here yeah, because I think we're doing a lot of the, the pointing of people that, ah, oh, you are a victimizer, you are an oppressor, you do this, you do that. But please understand, you are still an American that is tweeting or ranting off of an iPhone that was made by someone in a much less fortunate country. So you too are the victimized because you bought that phone and you supply that money. So all these finger pointing, and we have just as many, if not more fingers to point back at ourselves than we do at other people. And I feel like it's just because it's a lack of seeing the true state of the world and where you really could be if you were born anywhere, not America, and how many opportunities you would not have just because you were not in America or in the West. And I think that's something that's very, very important. Oh, totally agree. Even just paying your taxes in the US, like, yeah, your, yeah. You, your tax money has helped kill people like just full stop it's full just stop. a fundamental fact 70 and cents of every dollar goes to the military so you can't say it, it wasn't your money <laughs> exactly exactly but people just want to bury their heads in the sand and then yeah yeah but I they mean, continue to point fingers yeah and you're i was i turned 18 four days before 9 11 so that's probably wow. when you were born and my, it actually was <laughs> my entire adult life has just been a pretty big shit show uh mm -hmm. for this country and but one of the things I remember, like one of the first things they did after going to Afghanistan and especially after invading Iraq, since the casualties are so much higher, mm -hmm. is they basically put a gag on you couldn't see any body bags coming back. You couldn't see coffins like they wouldn't wow. allow photography like they were just like, oh, yeah, nothing to see here. Let's just pull the curtain and mm -hmm. no one is going to be able to know exactly what's happening versus the mass publicity that went on during Vietnam and other endeavors exactly. that then people were like, wait a minute, we're letting thousands of kids go over there and die for no fucking reason ostensibly mm -hmm. and bush and fucking rumsfeld who died yesterday like they same kind of thing they just were like hard, so hardcore about mm -hmm. selling the psyop of it all right right and right, part right. of that was just preventing public opinion from turning against it and there was some of the biggest demonstrations in the history of the country were the demonstrations against the iraq war yeah and yet it was still something that then went by the wayside it was like people just got literally just got tired of it yeah they get distracted yeah they just pivoted off somewhere else and it, yeah. it just loses steam and i think that's also a perfect example is we've 
we've never had a a truly bad leader. Like we've had some not great presidents, not saying that like we we only hire aces, but we've never had a Stalin. We've never had a Hitler. We've never had a cartel. Like we've never had like a true person in power who's like, yeah, fuck you and your family and your feelings and your well-being. So it, it gets much, much worse than the, the things that we complain about and the things that we fail to look at and make sure are always in check, especially in the governing system. Oh, yeah. It's pe- people bitch and moan about like how bad things are, how bad things have been. And it can get a, a lot worse. Like you really could have just been a Jew and you were going to die that Tuesday and the president wasn't going to save you. The commanders weren't going to save you because they're the ones that ordered it. Like, bye. (laughs) That really could be your reality. Yeah, and I think, like, the other thing is just in the very, like, high-level sense, like, this is actually, for all the bullshit we do around the world, this is also still, like, the most peaceful period in human history. You think about what Europe used to be like three, four hundred years ago and before, like, it was literally constant war between everyone and and so now just actually being able to start to like interconnect people have business as like a fundamental organizing principle of just hey we're going to work together we're going to figure out how to collaborate and stuff i think we'll do a zoom call while you're in a whole another country that we really could have been at war with at any other period in time yeah 100 percent. oh totally and so i think there is there's obviously still like a lot of work to be done but there is also so much to be like grateful for and like positive about and building off of from where we are now yeah yeah but it's because everything is so good that there is that there's that blind side because it's never happened to us or it wasn't in our lifetime that a lot of these things or actually a lot of these things have been in our lifetime but because of the bubble that we can live in with social media in america we don't have to see what goes on in the actual in-depths of the middle east on a daily basis we don't have to worry about those we might hear it in a textbook or see a netflix documentary here and there but that's not really in our psyche of oh that's a reality that can happen to any civilization anywhere in the world at any given time Oh, totally. And that's the thing is like, there's been multiple genocides throughout the world in my lifetime. Yeah. And we've done ostensibly nothing about it, even mm-hmm. after drawing certain lines in the sand, like at the UN and other and other organizations to be like, we will not allow for genocide. And then someone will be like, hey, genocide happening over here. And then we'll just be like, oh, I don't know her. And you're yeah. just like, uh, <laughs> it's exactly uh, that. That's why I do the billboard. Cause I feel like it's really like that New York <laughs> Cali crowd. I feel like they are the ones that need to see it because they have the best bubble. Honestly, like if you live in Cali, especially like that LA world, you don't ever have to leave. You can really be born there and die there and just be stuck in that world. Oh, totally. And I would definitely say there's a lot of swaths of the South that they're in an entirely different bubble that's maybe a little more anachronistic than than most <laughs> everything the number of confederate flags and stuff like that you see and it's just like why are you carrying yeah, around yeah. a participation trophy of treasonous people i saw something the other day they're going to get rid of a bust of jefferson davis in either the white house or in congress or something and it's like why the fuck is there still a bust of jefferson davis there like are yeah, you yeah. kidding me and then people were like oh, this is 1984, you're rewriting history and you're tearing it down. And it's just, this is bonkers. People are just like, not well. Like the interpretations people have of that kind of shit is just, it just blows my mind what people want to stick to. And I I think it's unfortunate because things like the lost cause 
right? The South will rise again kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that's directly contributed to the rise of fake news and stuff because you already have an audience that is primed right. to embrace a reality that does not exist whatsoever. Exactly. And they're perfectly ready and willing to march to that. And it's a little, it's a little scary. Like it is, but it, because it's also, it's, we're so focused on removing the statues and removing the bus and whether it was right or constitutional or against our history or for our history, but like, really it's a bust. We have policies that we need to be enacting. Like we right. just passed a bill like one or two weeks ago to have, to start making female test dummies and like crash test things. I didn't even know they were male. I just thought it was a mannequin. We have a lot of actual people equality things to fix. We don't need to be focusing on bills for test dummies. The, I don't care if it's a monkey, if it's a girl, if it's an elephant. As long as a test dummy means that I will survive in a real life car crash, go for it. I feel like we get sidetracked on so many of these small victories that we lose track of the main one. And that's why we always end up losing steam when we actually do start doing protests and things because people are so easily distracted. I think we don't realize, and I think this is a, this is another effect of us being in pretty much the greatest time to live ever is this is the first time we really like in the history of humans have like time to waste time. Like you don't have yeah. to worry about surviving. Can you build shelter? Do you have warmth? Do you have food? Can you feed not just you, but now your kids? Can you have a stable job? Like we're now at a point where it's like, it's all optional. If you don't have a job, you can DoorDash. If you don't DoorDash, you can do a business. You can do all three at the same time. Like you're really chilling. But because of that, we're just now getting to the point where we're realizing, holy shit, humans actually have a lot of power. If we sit down for an afternoon and we really just like focused and built something, we can build a lot. We can do a lot. We can discuss and find conclusions on a lot of things. But I don't think we're at a point as a collective that we realize just how much power we can have in our thought because we've never had this much time to actually think and create just because. Oh, totally. And I think like the recent passing of the legislation to make Juneteenth a federal holiday is a great example of that. You're literally, I'm glad it happened. It's an important recognition. Yeah, to make, but, but, but it, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't. And because at the same time, you're literally going to do that while the GOP in over half the states in the country is passing legislation to restrict voting rights that are disproportionately going to harm black people and other people right. of color. But it's like, hey, Juneteenth, let's say you're like, yeah, it's almost me? like the it's almost like we're really good at giving like the prettiest fuck you to citizens. Oh, absolutely. And it's the it's even more insidious because you do have one party that has completely gone off the deep end in mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan sucked, but at least just wanting to be in the government but saying government doesn't work is fucking stupid. It's, like, it's completely redundant. You know. Yeah, you should not and, even be running for office. But then I can understand from a philosophical, political perspective of saying the government should be smaller, have less a role in our lives. That's a totally defensible position. But of course, now we have a party that's partially governed by QAnon and just total yeah. fucking nonsense and thinking Donald Trump won last year. And so we're not dealing with good faith actors anymore, mm -hmm. if we ever were. And then we have the problem of like, we're now Democrats literally just gave Republicans cover so that now 
every it was unanimous, right? So mm-hmm. every Republican senator can go out and they've gotten a new I'm not racist card. They're like, I'm not racist. I voted Juneteenth as a federal right. holiday. How can yeah, you say yeah. I'm racist? Uh, but black people shouldn't be allowed to vote in my state. And good night. Yeah. And it's just, it's absolutely bonkers because we did George Carlin, the famous comic is maybe a little bit before your time, but he used to talk a lot about you're not in this group, right? This is a small clique. This is a small elite group and you're not right. part of this party. And there's so much more that connects the actual elites in Washington than mm-hmm. does the elites to any citizen. Better than a threat. Yeah. It's it's a small club and you're not a part of it. And so that they're going to protect that fraternity of each other over mm-hmm. protecting the interests of people. And so they're going to say, oh, this is fantastic. We got this bipartisan agreement. We got these people to agree to this. It's help get them to agree to protect voting rights. Yeah. Get yeah. them to agree to a new Voting Rights Act. Then I'll be impressed. I'm not impressed that you can get people to sign on to what's essentially just a psychological operation to fool people into thinking you actually did something. It's yeah, essentially yeah. political theater. It's legislative theater just being like, oh, hey, we did something. We agreed on mm-hmm. something. Cool. And it's like, how is that actually going to make any single person's life better? Yeah, like your job was not to come to an agreement. Your job was to improve the country, like point blank. (laughs) Yeah, hopeful that once Gen Z and millennials take a lot more power that we can reverse a lot of this bullshit. But it's so my question to you then is, do you do you think it's reversible or do you think that the fastest way to fix it is really to just start over? I think there's like a small window of time that it mm-hmm. that it is still reversible. But I think if the GOP takes power back in in, in Congress in right. next year in 2022, it, it's essentially game over at that point. Unless yeah. there's enough people. Yeah, it's got to be uh, a major turnaround revolt. Yeah. And unless there's some Republicans that like if Trump just died of natural causes or otherwise just lost his stranglehold on the party, because that's killing Mm -hmm. everyone right now. Like literally everyone is just in a rush to get on their knees for a dude who literally has never cared about them and and someone who is just terrible to them. It's like looking at people like Ted Cruz, where like Trump would literally call his wife ugly or say his dad was the Zodiac killer, mm-hmm. all kinds of crazy stuff. And he was just like, Donald Trump's the worst man ever. And then now he's just like, Donald Trump is a patron saint of the right, party. Right, and you're right, like, right. what the fuck does this do have on you? Of America. It is absolutely incredible to see the stranglehold that he has put on everyone. And I mean, it just shows you the power of marketing and the power of cults and everything yeah. like that. And it's once you drink the Kool-Aid, it's hard to reach for that bottle of Epicac and mm-hmm. pu- puke it up again. It's, it's in your fucking cells now. And I think that's the problem is like we have like deep cellular level damage to the entire Republican Party that is just 95 to 98 percent like totally in the tank for him. What I think like only 10 people voted for impeachment in the House against him. And so it's just there is a very small window of time. I think the biggest thing we got royally fucked over on a Millennial or geriatric millennial, as they call mm. us now. But millennials totally got shafted by boomers writ large. Yeah. And then yeah. Gen Z was at least there to be like, oh shit, we should do something. Yeah, else. we shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, we're right? going to go around this. Side. We're going to do a detail. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so you see so much more independence and in young kids, even like yourself, just, I'm just going to start a business and provide for myself because. Mm. 
this whole system is total bullshit. Whereas for us coming up, it was my parents, my dad used GI Bill, my mom bartended her way through college debt-free. And because it was nothing, it was like a few thousand dollars. Yeah, so right. we get like, there yeah, right. and it's, yeah. And it's just like, oh, you have to go to college kind of thing. And yeah. then it was like, this will pay off for you because we were successful because we went to college. So you will be too. And then, oh, they want a hundred thousand dollars. Well, just take it on loans. Like you'll make that up. And when you're 18, hell, we know your brain's not fully formed till you're 25 yep. now anyways. Yep, and yep. so it's like- You can't even rent a car, but you can definitely take out a couple hundred thousand right. dollars in loans. You can saddle yourself with like lifetime, a lifetime of debt for something that is a decreasing ROI by the day. And to an 18 year old kid, it's monopoly money. You're like, mm-hmm. I remember thinking, I'm like, they're not actually going to ask for this. I'm just, they're not right. going to want yeah. this back or whatever. You're like, oh, this will be cool. And, and see, just, I think that goes back to that same bubble mentality because we're like, what? I've never seen like the bank actually come and be like, give us all that you own. But if you don't pay, that will be your reality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then to just like hamstring students with shit like the Bush administration did that made to reinforce that it's not dischargeable you know, yeah, in, yeah, it's not in bankruptcy is absolutely bonkers. And it's just there, you can't really look at it in any other way that then it's like generational warfare, mm-hmm. right? So they talk about, oh, every generation thinks the last one sucked and everyone thinks the next generation sucks and whatever. And it's no, there's certain generations that like royally fucked other yeah. generations over. And the boomers and it's like, are that generation. Honestly, yeah. we feel bad for millennials because we know that you are just the product of really bad general advice. That was all anyone was telling you to do and you did the thing. And now the generation as a whole is in the pit, but it's not like it was your fault. That's y'all tried other things. And it was like, no, you just go to school and you get a job. You just go to school and and you get a job. But what if, no, but you go to school and then you get a job and then it all works out somehow. Yeah. Don't ask questions. Yeah. Don't ask questions. Get the degree. And then if things don't work out, then I guess we'll see. But it typically works out. You see me and your mom and your granddad and and yeah, yeah. So really y'all are just the victims of the boomers and they really don't seem that sorry because they do it now. And I feel like also that is an interesting point, but maybe boomers do suck because I also do feel like they're part (laughs) of the reason that the media is as it's, it's impossible at this point for you to be in the middle politically, even though I know as a whole, most people are, but as far as actual representation, it's either them, you either side with Trump or you are full on leftist and your ideology is, is not based in reality. It, in reality, there's people who are all along the spectrum and that's neither good nor bad. And there are people on opposite sides of the spectrum that can agree on certain things. It's really just more so the pathway to get there that changes views, but because that's not what gets clicks and views, especially since COVID when they had their COVID was the, the modern media, the mainstream media's best chance to stay relevant. And they fucking took that shit and ran. And Trump was a cherry on top of a gift. And so now they know they have to be clickbait. They have to say things super contrarian, super left, super right, super shameful. If you're not on this side, super prideful. If you're on this side, like there is no more gray zone for you to be like, I halfway support, or I can understand why but I don't agree. No, no, no. If you even understand the side of the enemy, you are now the enemy. You are now that Karen, or you are now super alt-left or alt-right. Like it, it's, there's, it's all extremism. And I feel like that is part of the big problem. But I think part of it too is just, we've never allowed for nuance, right? It's yes, always been it's like, hey, been you got to yeah. toe the party line, right? So it's, there's so little room for like, 
liberals who believe in gun rights or use guns or own guns or mm -hmm. conservatives who believe in abortion or want oh, to be legal no, so, no you got to sign on if you're going to be in this party you're yeah you got to take the whole fucking whole bus. thing yeah yeah that for me is just I, you know, I grew up with democratic parents my dad was a prosecutor and and ran every two years we were a very political family i worked on tons of political campaigns growing up and so very much grew up in the the democratic party of new hampshire right. but as i got older it was just like wait a minute like you guys, what are you actually doing to help people? And like, how are you actually making things better? And how are you right. actually holding the other party's feet to the fire? Mm -hmm. there's just, whether it's just like tons of gridlock or just not allowing for any range of nuance. And it's just like throughout my life, everyone increasingly factionalizing and yes. into their own party. And I'm someone I'm like, okay, I'm going to evaluate each thing like on its own. On a, on a case by case basis. Merit because I think most people do. Yeah. And there, because there's absolutely no reason to just sign up for, because there's, I think there's a ton of shit the left is wrong about. I think there's a mm -hmm. ton of shit the right is wrong about, mm -hmm. but that doesn't like actually for me, like that doesn't put me in the middle. Like I actually would say like, I'm on the extreme left. Cause even in this country, like our left is a joke. Right. Yeah, like 100%. Our, if yeah, you yeah, go yeah. to, if you go to yeah, if you go to Europe, our left is like center. And it's even our leftists here. That's a bit left of center in other countries in South America or in Europe and so on. And so we just don't even we have such a warped perspective of what the political spectrum actually is, because certain options just don't exist. There's no you can't actually get into office as a communist. Right. Yeah. Like you can't yeah. actually espouse those like extreme values, because even if you're to the right of communism, you're going to get called a communist. You will get even if out. you're hell, we're they're calling Joe Biden a socialist. And it's, there's never been there's been fewer bigger friends to major corporations and credit card companies than Joe Biden. And we're still just going to be like they're still going to be like he's a socialist. And that's why it was always crazy to me to for people to fight against Bernie Sanders saying, oh, he's just going to get labeled as a socialist. It's everyone, the Democratic Party will get labeled it, it, whoever gets elected is going to be labeled as a socialist because that's just a slur that's, that gets yeah, that used for democrats exactly. like that's, in the that's same it. way that you're like, a radical if you're right it's there is no gray zone for anyone to live but unfortunately because of especially just how many people exist and how many different lives and what all the circumstances that can create not everything is black and white yeah, now and yeah, and not allowing for nuance and be because it's, if you do come out and you're like, oh, hey, I'm a liberal and I'm for protecting the Second Amendment or I'm for like reasonable gun rights or, or whatever, you're just then painted as like a Trump supporter. And yeah, like, like you're immediately well, you're, yeah. you're thrown in that category. But it's like, oh, can I just not be in a box? Can I just like right. exist somewhere here in the middle? And I think that comes back to the breaking the bubble because we teach history so fucking shitty hear that it's laughable oh yeah because i'm oh, someone absolutely. who personally as far as school is concerned i will never take a history class ever in my fucking life that was my least favorite subject by a mile but outside of school since i've dropped out since i've not been in high school history is probably my favorite thing to study because i now understand what it means in the greater context of life like the, the learning about the presidents and the things like that's great it matters culture patriotism got it but what you really should be talking about is here is why communism failed as a concept. Here is why extremism in, in democracy even can fail. Like really giving it a, a real bare bones application level because there are governments that exist and are ran differently everywhere in the world. 
And if we look back and just study history, we can see how those play out because they've probably played out a couple times now at this point. But there's that lack of education of that we don't even, I think that's why fake news is such a, a rampant issue right now, because we don't understand the consequences of not being well socially informed or even worse, pushing information that we ourselves don't truly realize is valid or invalid. Oh, absolutely. And everyone's just always seeking confirmation bias, yeah. like looking for like berries in the because forest. Because they think that their way like, can't be bad. And that's why right. teaching the history of like, no, 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 I guess believe whatever you want to believe. But please know that if you are walking down the communism road, you will have to go through communism challenges. And we've seen across multiple countries, multiple timelines, multiple wars, how that plays out. And if you're okay with that, then cool, continue to read and believe what you believe, but do know the consequences of that. Because right now we just feel like what I believe in, it's fine. America will be America or whatever. Like we don't understand. It's like we really don't understand voting power because we don't even understand what voting and governance even does or has an impact. But I think we, we have so little voting power anyways, and it's yeah. so much has been stripped away that it's even hard to understand like what it could really be like. And I think exactly so much is just related to a fundamental lack of imagination on people's parts because, but there's so much like cultural and social conditioning, right? And I think mm -hmm. even like it's, it's definitely built into the system. It's a very great system to keep us active, but not impactful. We are like the best damn bench player that goes in the game and does nothing. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's so wild, too. And like my time in the South and I different things would come up like the 1619 Project. And so you'd have so many things where you'd be talking about slavery and all these people would be like, oh, that was just a state's rights issue. And it's like a state's right to do what? It's like, what? Yeah, Keep yeah. people <laughs> enslaved. And it's just, come on now. And it's just the actual disingenuous nature. Like I said before, we're not dealing with rational actors. We're not dealing with good faith actors. Because we it's don't just... deal with solutions. We stop at, it was about the state's rights. Because no one wants to be thoughtful and thorough in their thought to be like, okay, but what does that mean long-term? The state's right to do what? Enslave people. Okay, what does that mean? Is that good or bad? We don't go that deep. We stop at step one. And then we wonder why all the other steps are so fucked up. And it's because you didn't take the time to figure out where the fuck we're walking. And I think, too, the lack of desire for any introspection is so strong in yes. the human condition that when you talk about things like reparations, people are like, well, I didn't do that. Like, well, I shouldn't have to pay for that and everything. And it's just you are actually still benefiting from that. And it's so baked in to your world experience that you're totally blind from mm -hmm. how you to this day as a white person in this country benefit from chattel slavery because this country would not be what it is today because it was built on the backs of enslaved people if it hadn't been for all of that. Right. And yes, you can have a debate about whether reparations should be given, but what's not debatable is the fact that everyone still benefits today from because people being enslaved then. before. And, yeah. and so, yeah, it's okay if you're going to just take a totally like forward facing approach and it's just, okay, we shouldn't have to atone for the sins of the past. Okay. That's a position to take. And you can argue that. Sure. Yeah. But you can't come into the debate and say, oh, this didn't happen or this doesn't matter. Or there's yeah, yeah, you this, can't like, Germany and be like, what? what Nazis? At least with them, they're just like, hey, this sucks. Like, we're not going to deny our past, but we're not going to let these assholes keep doing all their shit right 100%. and of course that's no, like 100%. anathema to us as from like a free speech situation because we're just like no everyone should be allowed to be nazis if they want 
it's okay like that's a position sure yeah, a position, is that but we have to think about the consequences better, of right? actions yeah because yeah, we yeah. just kind of we just put freedom quote unquote mm -hmm. on this pedestal and but we don't think about the fact of like we're the freedom richest comes country with responsibility absolutely and we're the someone richest else country to have freedom, in the world. We have to tolerate them absolutely but we're the richest country in the world and we still have rampant poverty and poverty mm -hmm is anathema to freedom mm -hmm. and is opposed to freedom mm -hmm. uh, especially in the way that this country is run because there isn't any other way for people to get those resources now in countries that have next to nothing there's places in the world where people are essentially living in like the bronze age with right. cell phones have next to nothing to their names and yet they can still they still have a greater degree of freedom than mm -hmm. people making 15 20 grand a year in the u.s because right. it's just a society operating on a different level and we just have no actual sense of what should actually be the bare minimum oh mm -hmm. hey we can actually stop bombing the shit out of everyone right. and actually feed everyone instead mm -hmm. but you can always bomb more people but if you're feeding more people, eventually everyone gets full. So you yeah. can't keep feeding them, but you can always bomb the shit out of more stuff. And there's never right. any question of when it was like going into Iraq, going into Afghanistan, nobody was like, how are you going to pay for this? It was just like, take out the credit card called China and swipe it and let's go yeah. and we'll do whatever the fuck we want and waste trillions of dollars. It's literally the exact same way that regular people approach school debt. Oh, absolutely. But imagine if our State Department and Defense Department switched budgets. Imagine if the Education Department had the budget of the DOD. Things like that. Like, there's literally no reason that couldn't be the case. Yep. And people just think it's, oh, we spend more than the next 10 yep, combined on defense because it has to be that way. And no, this is just the end result of a series of decisions that were made largely yep. by defense contracting companies, which... There used to be hundreds of those, and now there's four. Yeah, there's five. like a core four to five. You know, yep. There's next to nothing, and they just have such disproportionate control over everything that happens in this country, and no one can see it because yep. there's so many blinders. You've got outlets from even as reputable as the New York Times, the Washington Post. They still launder disinformation mm -hmm. and misinformation through intelligence agencies and things yep. like that and then they just create this feedback loop where it's dick cheney used to do it right they got mm -hmm. articles planted in the new york times about wmds in iraq and then he goes on the sunday shows and he's like there was an article in the new york times this morning about finding this and that <laughs> and it's just he had the cia like help push that right, into right. new york times and no one can see it we can't see the wizard of oz we can't see yeah. behind the curtain and so we just continue to play these bullshit games that really are so detrimental to us as a people and See, it's so hard to find our way out. And that just goes back to it's it's really just the educational piece, which is why it, it does have to be ingrained in the system at least a little bit. Because in the time we spent trying to do this Juneteenth shit, we really could have been discussing what if we gave schools way more money and spent way less money on bombs? That could have been the exact same conversation in that room at the same amount of time, probably a little bit longer, but it definitely would have been a much, much bigger impact, short-term oh, yeah. and long-term, than fucking Juneteenth. A matter of fact, a holiday that Black people have considered holidays fucking forever, so we were going to celebrate it whether them niggas met in that, oh my bad, sorry, sorry, whether they met in the room or not. So it really was a whole lot of doing nothing, like absolute nothing. But I, again, I do think that goes back to educating about politics and educating especially also about economics because it's scary 
it's scary. If I didn't have business, if I didn't decide to take this route, I have no idea where I would be in terms of my understanding of economics. And it's the only reason I'm able to be as smart with how I move in society now, because really, we, I don't know if it's everywhere, but for sure here in America, our understanding of economics and what money actually means and where it comes from and how things are funded and interest and percentages, like it's laughable. We really might as well be at a, a second grade reading level by comparison. Oh, I mean, I think that's being generous too, right? Yeah, I think like, that's being just, generous, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think that's part and parcel to the system. That's part of the system of control is making sure people don't understand it, making sure people don't even know what the Federal Reserve is, making mm -hmm. sure people don't know how our fiscal and monetary systems actually operate because right, right. if they don't know how they operate, they can't change them, is right? Private? They just cannot change them. How right. does no one know that the Federal Reserve is a private-owned entity? And how does no one, the fact that no one has a problem with it is how no one knows because no one would ever feel safe of, oh yeah, that group, yeah, they fund our entire country and basically decide all of our laws because they do all of the money spending that we get oh, to yeah. have. But like, that just shows you the power of branding, Federal mm -hmm. Reserve. Oh, that's got to be a government agency. That's yeah, yeah. Be, you know, and it just, yeah. And it, it's just, it's wild because it just has like such supreme power. And to me, I look at things like, you look at someone like Barack Obama mm -hmm. when he came up and I was talking to someone about this the other day that everyone thought he was like this crazy progressive leftist and everything. And it's like, this is a middle of the road centrist. Yeah. dude. Mm -hmm. And if you are actually really progressive and you come up to a really high level, like you're a legitimate target for assassination. Absolutely. Like, if yes. you have actual ideas that are going to fuck this system up, like you will not even get the chance to see CNN news or enter any <laughs> or anything. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's like this, what this country needs is like a political platform that is worthy of assassination. Oh right? my that goodness. is the actual level so, of change that is required. Shameless plug. I literally just became a co-founder of a company that does exactly this. We're called Sightful.com and we do AI verified unbiased news and we actually we tackle this entire debacle situation and we do all the reference checking and it'll later devolve into some big crypto ai of like identity verification as far as like authorship and authenticity and yeah we're working on it probably might get killed maybe but you know what i've honestly believe it or not fun fact i've been convinced that i was gonna die from assassination probably since i was about 10 years old because I really do, I'm happy to think differently, even if that does come at the consequence of my long-term well-being, because at least I know I did the thing or tried to do the thing. That's really wild. Yeah, I just actually, I just joined the advisory board of a company called Ovis, which is essentially using blockchain to te technology and what they call their truth token to mm. try and create journalism that incentivizes truth so that people what can What is this like, called? It's called Ovis, O-V-I-S. Yeah. So they're just, their website, I think, is debuting in September. Mm. So they're just like working on some of their token economics and, and launching that out. But uh, yeah, it's a really fascinating platform built by a guy who is a decades long veteran in the mm -hmm. news industry who eventually just got sick of it and was like, fuck this. There's got to be a better way to do this how what can we change and essentially the baseline structure of it is essentially having users and having people like stake toke asking for hey i want a story done covering like how voting rights are being suppressed in my home state of georgia and then other people can stake tokens to then upvote that story and it basically creates a bounty for 
a reporter who can then say, oh yeah, I'll do that story. And then once they submit the story, it gets evaluated by the audience and by the, the stakeholders. And then they can basically upvote it or downvote it as to like, okay, yeah, is like this actually review. true? Yeah. And they've right. got like fact checker, everyone to just ground it in reality. And so they're really trying to like raise a billion dollars to try and essentially fight back against the scourge of fake news and fight for something that's only biases towards the truth rather than like any political party or, or corporate interest and stuff. I just started with them like a couple of weeks ago. So I'm really fascinated to see where they can go and, and what they can do. But I think a lot of that kind of stuff is, that's why governments I think are so threatened in large part by blockchain technology and other Agreed. decentralization related technologies. Yep. Cause it's, it's oh, hey, we just, so we just created billions of dollars of wealth from thin air. <laughs> Independent and, of you. Yeah. Yeah. Without you. And even just doing that, like that to me is people talk about how much Bitcoin might be worth someday. But to me, like the value of Bitcoin has already been proven because it's just a proof of concept that yeah, like, honestly, blockchain technology feel, can work. Yeah. Like regardless of how you feel about crypto, fad, NFTs, like whatever, the fundamental technology that crypto introduces cannot and will not be ignored. So it right. will be there. And so I think it's even if it gets to like a million dollars or whatever, no matter how much Bitcoin is ever worth, the greatest gift and greatest contribution to society that Bitcoin is has made is just proving, yeah, is just yes. proving out that it works and opening up. Because I think so much, you know, crazier stuff is going to get done on Ethereum. And then I'm sure mm -hmm. there will be other future platforms like Ethereum that yes. is like, hey, this is going to be a proving ground and a place to like just build technologies on top of to do different things. Because right now, less than 2% of the people in the world own crypto and we still yep. don't have any mainstream crypto apps that are not no. Coinbase that are not, yep. you know, some sort of exchange. And so we don't even, we have not even come close to realizing even the first initial stage. Like we're still I in agree. the early adoption phase, yep. even if like we're or maybe in the US a little bit past the early adoption phase. No, we're, we're still very we're not even early. close. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, we don't have anything else. There's so many different cool things, even NFTs, right? It's like our NFTs had a big, you know, splash this year. They had their moment, mm -hmm. but it was weird because everyone just attached NFTs to like being an art thing. But it's, yeah, yeah that's yeah. cool, but this is going to replace like deeds this is yes, deeds. Yeah. right exactly like it's going to replace vin numbers on cars there's just going to be like a qr code on every car mm -hmm. that goes to a blockchain for an nft for that car yeah. and some people it's like oh that's not secure and it's what if the registrar of deeds burns yep. to the ground like i just mm -hmm. made a post today on linkedin like 11 years ago my house burned my family home burned to the ground and it's okay one copy of the deed was in that house Right. If then the other office burns down, there's actually no record of ownership of that home. And except maybe in some mortgage documents. And we act that's like not always cooking like the, the books isn't a very real, very relevant business term that is used on the regular. Exactly. And that to me is like wild because I think the vast majority of like auditing and financial accounting for like the auditing side of it will mm -hmm. just be swallowed whole by software yes. and the blockchain, especially because, okay, right now it's really hard or it's easy to detect fraud, but it's actually yeah. really difficult to detect conspiracy. So if someone's like trying to cook the books themselves, they're by and large usually gonna get found out eventually. Mm -hmm. yeah. But if someone is conspiring with people at multiple points in the chain of custody, that's virtually impossible until someone actually like narcs on someone. Exactly. But the blockchain can actually detect like a blockchain that has an AI infused algorithm that can detect mm -hmm. anomalies and stuff, you're toast. And so you got to come yeah. up with a, a different scheme, right? 
I'm super excited to see, not really to see, but just for the rest of the world to really wake up to what blockchain is. Because literally this morning, I was just talking to my girlfriend because I decided that for the business, I'm going to move our reserve currency to actually be a different forms of crypto. Of course, DAI is going to be like the main holder, but just to have the decentralized component of it, just to make sure if shit does hit the fan with America or with politics or with whatever, my shit can't get locked up and I'm not dependent on the dollar, which we know is going to have to change in some way, shape or form just because of economics. And it's, she's like, you'll just get like hacked, right? And I was like, no, no, because you can do cold stores. You can do hard stores. You can mm -hmm. do the Bitcoin security. And she was like, but what does that mean? Like you can still get hacked. And it's like, no, you can't get hacked. It's like the internet minus all of the, the negatives of being pirated and hacked on the internet almost. Mm -hmm. Like it's really hard to explain to everyday people just how, if nothing else, just how secure blockchain allows the internet and things on the internet to be. And I think that is probably going to be one of the main adoption points once people actually figure that part out. Because honestly, how much people understand of crypto beyond the name of Bitcoin is literally zero. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. So we'll be crypto billionaires, definitely. Zion, this has been a fascinating and enlightening and wide-ranging conversation. It's been a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, no, we really hit everything. Thank yeah, you. That, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And this really brings me to my last question of the day. And that is, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? Oh, the kindest thing anyone has ever done for me. See, I think you, I don't know, you picked the wrong person for this because I've, I've literally... <laughs> I've been raised by a village, like the number of people who I genuinely consider to be my mom or my grandmother or my grandfather. And like, I have pictures of me like graduating in their houses and stuff is literally at least 25 different people that are not blood related. People have made a major impact on me and it's why I find it so important to be a good person and help other people. But I guess I'd say probably my mentor that I met in November, his name is Johnny Vanko, and he's the creator of the the digital, the data tool that we have. And he has such a great mind for business and had absolutely zero reason to take me under his wing and open my mind to the fundamentals of business. Because I would say, honestly, I was also one of those marketers who I definitely still saw the end picture of a good customer journey like matters and stuff, but I still was brainwashed with all the boundaries of the rules of this is what good copy is, or this is the way that you should market and advertise. There are no rules. And I'd say it's it was him taking me under his wing and just spitting the knowledge that he's given me that's made me into the self-sufficient and autonomous person and entrepreneur that I am today. And I know that because of him, if nothing else, I will go on to impact a lot of other people in the future just because of the opportunity that he gave me and where it put me later. Wow. That's awesome. Thank you again so much for joining me today, Zion. It was a pleasure to get to speak with you. It was a pleasure to get to know you, get to speak with you. Do you have, did you do a podcast episode about you? Because I, I feel like your story is a thousand times more impressive and entertaining than probably most of the people you interview. <laughs> no, not yet. I've had, I had one guy who was like, I forget it was one of the hypnotherapists or maybe like an NLP practitioner, but he does like some coaching and therapy and two questions in and it just flipped around and he was basically interviewing me and just like, <laughs> so what are your, what have been your limiting beliefs and what's holding you back in business and what has been your history and like these different patterns and you've got yeah, this was a and, live consulting you know, session. <laughs> yeah. And he was just like, and I'd give an answer and he's just, okay, but I'm really not hearing like one specific thing there that you're doing. And I was just like, oh damn, this dude's getting into it. Yeah, 
getting it. deep. I was like, yeah, it was cool because I was like, I haven't done some shit like this before. So right. yeah, it was it was a lot of fun and. But uh, yeah, I think I'll probably start going on some other people's podcasts and stuff as well. But yeah, I might maybe I have someone you, come and Can I pitch you an idea? Sure, go for it. Can I interview you on your podcast? I'm a pretty good question asker, so I'll come at it with the questions. I will billboard you like you billboarded me. But I, I honestly, I always have wondered, I was just asking myself last week, do podcasts, because you know, obviously with podcasts, you do a lot of interviewing, but do you ever do an episode like is the first episode you introducing you or is it immediately other people and if not i feel like people might be curious about knowing about you too so why not would you yeah, let me interview be, you <laughs> on your own podcast absolutely no i think that'd be a lot of fun i think we'd have a great conversation and yeah let's uh, let's set a date and let's uh let's do it okay perfect thank you thank you i know that's really random but i was just curious. no that's Man, cool as shit dude I, uh, I appreciate the offer so <laughs> yeah this is a free excuse for you to talk about yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go there you go because if you just do it on your own it does sound like a uh, podcast guy did an interview with him <laughs> real cocky <laughs> yeah yeah no i dig okay. it cool, Sounds cool. Dope. thank you thank you again so much this is awesome thank you for having me absolutely um, and uh we'll talk soon yeah, sounds great. So today's episode is brought to you by Prosperitas, making unforgettable videos for unforgettable companies. Visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn more. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. And if you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high-quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash theluepodcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, Wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Yeah.